for what? Historically black college and university. College and university. Woo, okay. Blacks and education we're talking about, right? And the question is higher learning too, with a question mark. And so our introduction is being done by MP Infinite. Um, that's the person who's producing our music for us. And that's the person also sponsoring this particular episode. Our first episode, our inauguration episode of We Today, We Tomorrow. Let's give it up for MP Infinite. Woo! Okay, so. Yeah, his music's pretty dope too. So if you want to check him out, you can check him out um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud. So go out and check out MP Infinite. And he'll also, his information will be in the description box below. Okay, so we're talking about HBCUs and higher education, blacks and education. So what's the thing that we want to discuss? So we're talking about being financially prepared for college education and not solely dependent upon, being dependent upon scholarships, right? Yeah. Because of the pandemic and you have, we were talking about um, after, before we, you know, while we were rehearsing, we were talking about um, athletes and how they are now in the Southern Conference, which was the Southwestern Athletic Conference, SWAT. Correct. Okay. Yes. And how their scholarship money is being affected. And so because of that, a lot of them won't be able to go to school. But it's bigger than that because it's not just them. It's a lot of people won't be able to go to school due to not having the the proper funds. And so, Larissa, you go ahead and take it from there because you work, you know, in the in the university realm. So tell us a little bit about uh, the lack of preparation financially. What black people, not just black people, I guess all people need to do to ensure their kids can go to school, especially in these precarious times with you know a pandemic, which is happening now. But you know it's going to happen again because. <laughs> It's the world we live in, so this is our new normal. So what can people do to try to safeguard against um, not being financially prepared to send their students to school? I mean, you can, of course, start saving early, but I understand that that is not attainable for many folks, particularly black people. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, I think that... The larger education comes, the larger conversation comes from trying to find the scholarships and the resources that exist. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many scholarships and grants and funding opportunities that are available, but you don't want to be solely dependent on any type of scholarship because, you know, circumstances happen and they can be taken away from you. So you want to try to get involved in as many resources as possible, not fully dependent on one. I think where it comes in, where that comes into show is right now as this conversation is we're talking about the SWAT conference and athletes in particular mm -hmm. being so dependent on these athletic scholarships mm -hmm. and now that opportunity may not exist for them anymore. And so now they need to focus more on like their merit or other hobbies or talents or skills that they may have. I think that's another place, one of the places that we can start with this conversation. Okay. Samara, you want to chime in on what uh, Larissa was talking about, how to be uh, financially prepared, not solely dependent on uh, financial assistance from the school? Um, I was going to say the same thing about the saving. You have to start saving early and just don't try to solely depend on your child getting a scholarship, especially an athletic scholarship. And I do want to find out if 
Well, how about that goes for people that are on um, academic scholarships? Good question. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Because the academic comes solely from the school. Right. You know, do the um, athletic scholarships, do they come from the athletic department? Yeah. Yes, I believe so. I think they do come from the athletic department. And then I think you get some, I think you get some state funding as well. Yeah, a lot of the athletic scholarships, they come from many different pots. So they'll come from um, the athletic department. They'll come from endowment, um, alumni donations, and Mm -hmm. things like that. They come from the revenue that is generated to the university. They come from various sources. I would say academic scholarships, for the most part, many are not as impacted. Um, Mm -hmm. It depends on the federal funding that the university gets, like, there's many different, you know, private versus public versus research-based versus there's so many different types of institutions, you know, four-year versus Um, Mm two-year, Hispanic serving institutions versus historically black institutions versus Ivy League, like, there's so many different types of institutions and funding come from different ways. But for the most part, it de- and it also depends on if the school is going to be in person versus virtual or a hybrid model. All of that goes into the factors on how academic scholarships are being distributed for this semester. And I specifically talk about this semester because people are like universities are working semester by semester at this point. Yeah. Because we don't know what to predict in the future. Yeah. So the question I have, you're saying about savings. Okay, so what if savings is not a viable option as of now? We have people losing jobs, millions of Americans losing jobs, especially adversely affecting primarily uh, African black people and other minorities. But we're focused on you know HBCUs and blacks for right now. So how are people supposed to save when you don't even know when your next check is coming, or how you're gonna keep a roof over your head, or keep food you know in your cupboards, or keep your kids clothed, or keep your utilities on? How viable is saving now? It doesn't seem like it's at all possible with the way the economy's going and the way that, you know, we're still in these uncertain times of the quarantine. So how is that even viable right now for anyone to save if that's not something that they've been planning prior to this pandemic? Or they maybe they did have the money prior to the pandemic, but because of the circumstance they found themselves in, they now have to use that money to try to survive. That's a uh, good question. That's a really good question. Yeah, that that is a very good question. Because if, if if people were living paycheck to paycheck beforehand, and you have no paycheck to live, how you know how can you? What's your future? What do you tell your children now, who who have some type of athletic ability or have some type of academic prowess to where they're excelling? How do you tell them that? Look, I don't know if you'll be able to fulfill your dreams of living out your, you know, your God-given talent or the talent that you have uh, mastered in practice and perseverance and, and hard work and sacrifice that due to where we find ourselves, we're just not financially able to assist you. And perhaps your dreams can't come about without some type of outside source that we can't provide for you at this time because of, you know, the financial situation we find ourselves in due to the pandemic. Again, no fault of anybody's, but that's just where they find themselves. That's a hard question. I don't have an answer for that right now. That is a very hard question. So let me ask you this. Do you think that the um, HBCUs are 
less prepared than other schools who are not HBCUs. And I don't want to compare it to Ivy League. Ivy League is like the, you know, are like the top tier. So I don't want to do that. But say maybe state schools or say privately funded schools are HBCUs less prepared to maybe assist their students when they find themselves being uh, financially challenged to provide them with resources to help them, you know, stay the course and to help them, main, you know, get their uh, education. I wouldn't say that they were less prepared. I would say that they receive less funding. And as a result, that determines how they're able to support their students. Is that, I wouldn't say that that, I don't know if preparedness makes it seem like I use the word prepared as something that I can tangibly like do in order to set myself up for success. But sometimes, specifically talking about HBCUs, like they just don't have the funding compared to other institutions. We can talk about state institutions specifically. And they're not able to support their students as others would. So is that because of the lack of uh, alumni giving back and the lack of resources that they have available to them? So I'll take out the word prepare because you're right. Prepare is something that you're actually planning for. You can't plan for people to give you money. You can fundraise and you can ask for donations and sponsorships, but that's all uh, uh, charitable. And, you know, and I don't know what the endowments are set up and how they're set up, but you're right. Prepared is a, is a poor choice of words, but what is it that is a lack of resources that the universe is unable to perhaps HBCU specifically able to give the students what they need financially because of the lack of donations and the lack of sponsorship, the lack of monies that are being sent to them in the community at large, because people are now saying, you know, well, not now, but people always said support HBCUs, but they're saying it with their mouths, but not with their pocketbooks. So perhaps that's the issue. Why? It's not so much solely on the universities, also also on the alumni and the people who actually support HBCUs to actually give. You don't have to give a lot, you know, a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, eleven dollars when you had that money to give. And now you don't have that money to give. The HBCUs now are having to depend upon uh, philanthropy. I think um, who's the uh, guy? Jeff Bezos' ex-wife gave yes. billions of dollars to different organizations. I think she gave uh, a large chunk of change to HBCUs. Now, the name yes, specifically, did. I don't know, but she did do that. But should it take someone like that to make that happen? I mean, it shouldn't, but it helps. Right. I mean, yeah. it would help if alumni did more for their alma maters. I mean, I know I didn't attend HBCUs, but I contribute, and I don't necessarily contribute to the entire university. I contribute, I donate to the resources on campus that helped me to thrive mm-hmm. in my tenure in undergrad. So, you know, the Women's Center, the Multicultural Center for my undergrad, those are the places that I donate to because that's who helped me. I right. didn't necessarily support the institution as a whole, but I do what I can. Like I said, I don't have much, right? but I give what I can. And I think that alumni should do a better job at donating to their HBCUs because they do so much beyond commencement. Like commencement is just the start. Like they go on to be small business owners or, you know, teachers or whatever career that they choose. And they could afford to donate for that. They can afford to donate. So. And I went to a HBCU, so I can speak on it. I went to HBCU for a law school. And so I do believe that you give back to the departments in the and the particular programs that helped you achieve, not to the whole university, because 
when you give back to a program you actually were in and helped you get to where you're going, you actually can see where the money's being spent. You can allocate those monies to make sure that you're helping the next person behind you come up. So you're right. A lot of people may not know that they don't have to give to the university as a whole. They give to a particular program or a particular department and they could create a scholarship or give monies to that particular or even help a particular student in that particular program get through. So that there are options available to people that maybe are not aware of instead of giving it to the whole school and having them figure out how the one is to be uh, dis- dispersed, give to the program or the program, even if it didn't help you, but a program you have heard great things about that are actually helping to, I don't know, uh, create success in that program from the people who graduated from that school in that particular uh, program or curriculum. So I think that's great. What do you have to add, Samara? Um, I didn't know that um, you could just give to the specific departments. I didn't know that. See, and that's why that's why we're sharing because a lot of people didn't. Because I know yeah. Malcolm went to HBCU. Um, my son Malcolm, he went to um, Tennessee State University in Nashville, and so he gives uh, to the music department, the psychology department, because those are where he got his degrees in those two, you know, programs. So that's and he gives. So that's where he gives his money to specifically. So you can give it like that. So that may be something people weren't aware of. So mm-hmm. it's always nice to yeah, know. Yeah, I think education has a lot to do with it. There's so much that. Like, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Like, so when I received those emails soliciting donations from the Alumni Center, no. Like, that's not not to say that they don't do great work. Right. I just don't know what they do because I wasn't in my yeah. community on campus. So I think that not a lot of black people particularly are talking about giving back to your, your local HBCU. Not in a way that it's delivered successfully to alumni, apparently, right? Because it's not happening. So. Right. right. And I agree. I do ignore those alumni um, uh, emails <laughs> as well, often, and the letters and everything else they send me. Because I'm like, I don't know you. I don't know what you guys are about. So why would I give you something I don't know what you're about? I give it to the people who actually help me succeed or get through where I need to get through. And the programs I know that actually work because I'm a product of that working. So why would I do that? So do you think that lends the stereotypes to HBCUs that people take and really don't give from them? Because you have a lot of successful alumni of HBCU. And it seems as though um, with all these successful alumni, it's, I don't know, maybe they're giving to the university as a whole. And maybe the money's not trickling down to their specific programs and maybe the financial assistance. I don't know. And I know most universities, not just HBCUs, are top heavy when it comes to administration. Because administration takes a lot of money, in my opinion. Oh, of course. So I, I mean, you can check the, you know, the salary. Most uh, state and public institutions call it like a accountability section where basically everyone in the entire university's salary is listed. You can definitely see where the money to the university mm-hmm. is going when it comes to salaries. You could also look at the buildings that are being refurbished, remodeled. Look at the uh, attractions that they're having. Just think about. LSU in particular, like they just built like this huge water water slide or something on their campus. What purpose? To because LSU is a is a name, so to attract those elite students. What a water park! Anglo-Saxon descent who are attracted to those types of amenities. Wow. Okay. But they also have resident hall buildings that are decrepit and falling down. So priorities you know right right and i guess maybe making students more of a priority would probably help to 
retain and even have people come to HBCUs because that's the next thing we're going to discuss. Our next topic was going to be about um, why don't people attend HBCUs? Like why don't they have more uh, black athletes or even people who are academically um, successful want to attend HBCUs? So why is it that most, is it, is it that we've already answered that question? The reason why we have our top tier um, black students wanting to go to Ivory League or non-HBCUs because of they think that they don't have the support there that they need to have in order to see, and that's why they choose to opt out? No, I don't think so, because well, education-wise, the HBCUs are great in supporting their students. They are amazing. They do way more than the white schools. HBCUs want their students to succeed. I don't feel like they are just trying to get a check. No, they're trying to get um, degrees handed out. That's what the, that's what their goal is. White schools, they don't give a damn. They just want the money. Right. So is it that the HBCUs have to work, work better on social media or at least trying to recruit students and, and trying to show that they... Recruiting. It's recruiting. Okay. Yeah, it's recruiting. And I think some people feel like... Maybe it's not good enough to go to HBCU. But where does where, like where did that thought come from? Like where like where did that come from that they're not good enough? Because HBCUs can can compete with any any university in any place yeah. in any in, in all of the United States of America and beyond worldwide. They're excellent. They're exceptional schools. I'm proud of them, and I think I'm exceptional. I've done well for myself. My son has done well for himself. Another son, he started uh, Tuskegee. He's doing well for himself. So HBCUs are thebomb.com. So I wonder where this perception came because I was very intentional with going to HBCUs. I was very intentional about my, my son's going to HBCUs. I was very intentional. Everything I did was intention. And maybe uh, we talked about this, you know, off not on this podcast, but when we're preparing, maybe it was a different world that helped. Maybe it was uh, just being raised in a household where we pride ourselves on black culture, black history, and, and and making sure that we knew where we came from and we were in a environment we were celebrated and not just tolerated. And so um, I, I'm all for HBCUs. I think they're great. But again, there's some disconnect now that's going on because I don't hear and I don't see very many um, black students talking about they want to go to HBCUs. Again, that's just my experience. I don't know. That may not be yours. Um, well, because I'm not allowed not around a lot of students so I wouldn't know that is a very good question because I mean when Malcolm even when Malcolm and I were going to when I my sons were going to go to a school I they basically have a choice I'm like I'm only paying for HBCUs I'm not paying for anything else because I knew they were gonna get the quality education there bar none and I knew the environment that they would be in that they would be nurtured but they would be pushed to be challenged and they mm-hmm. would be given the type of opportunities that they would otherwise wouldn't get at a non-HBCU because you have a lot of these corporations go specifically to HBCUs because they know the quality and caliber of what they're producing at those universities and those colleges. And that was a great word to use, nurturing. They are nurturing. And I mean, you have enough time to have to be in this doggy dog world and HBCUs prepare you for that to where I knew yes. when I graduated from, my, from law school, my HBCU law school, I knew if I could make it there, I could make it anywhere. Like, there's nothing on this planet I can't take and you could throw my way and I can't handle. Point blank, period, the end. And that's something I, I wouldn't be able to get anyplace else, in my opinion. 
No, you're right. So, yeah. So do you think if maybe these athletes, these, these star athletes that they're recruiting out of these, you know, high schools and I think even sometimes junior high school for all I know, and um, these star uh, intellectuals and academically high achieving, if they will go to more HBCUs, then the money will follow because people, yes. the, 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 the donors, the sponsors, the resource would follow those, those individuals or those groups individuals because they know they're investing in something like everything else is investment. So if I invest in something, I know to be a surefire win and they, and they have a program set that they're going to make sure these students are guaranteed to win and succeed. You're going to put your money in that. So maybe if we had more of our star people, not star people, just people in general, but if you had the people really can bring the attention to everyone else that I think the money would follow, would you agree or, or no? No, I completely agree. Cause if, what is, I'm trying to think of a big time athlete. Okay. If even though he didn't go to college, if he would have gone to an HBCU, think about what that would have done for that school. Right. Right. Just the fact that even if he went for a year, right. think about what that would have done. The money that would have come in for people coming to the games. Right. And then the younger kids that are coming in, you know, the kids that look up to him now, knowing that that's where he went to school, they would just, that, that's what they would be all about, wanting to go to that school. And just like how some people want to go to um, North Carolina because, hey, that's where Michael Jordan went. Right. Right. You are right about that. So because they have, because a lot of these athletes and even these academics, they get their following in high school, junior high school, early on, they, mm -hmm. they create a following and their followers are going to want to go to where they go just to be around them or hopes of being around them or just being in their aura or being in their yeah. sphere or being part of history when they make history for whatever they choose to do in life. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I believe I heard recently, and again, I could be wrong. There was this basketball player. I think he opted. He was, uh, I think he's supposed to be in the top, top 10 maybe in the in United States. And I think he opted to go to a HBCU and everybody was so happy for him. So I hope he's not the last you know, but I hope he he creates a chain reaction and more people will opt to go into HBCUs and then the research will follow. So if something like this, not if, but when something like this happens again, meaning another pandemic or another outbreak occurs, uh, the money will be there and they won't be put in such a precarious situation to have to choose between whether they um, go to school or not. But one thing you said, Larissa, that you said that the amenities that the money goes towards to attract certain students. So I don't know if people are aware, but most students at HBCU are not black students. They're foreign students. Yeah. And so perhaps a lot of reasons why the money's not there for the United States students or the, or the, his, the students that the colleges and universities are there to historically serve is because that money's being used to recruit people from foreign students who bring in more revenue into the universities and colleges because they are charged with double, some, double the, the tuition, I believe. If yeah, not more. So basically the universities are basically putting into their budgets, the money they get from these students who are, um, who are international students. That's what they're called international students. And that's why when I think the Senate tried to say something to the fact that they were going to, um, was the department of education, department of education, where they said they were going to try to, uh, cut out or, or not allow 
international students to go to a, not allow them to something they were going to allow them to do. They were going to revoke their visa. Thank you. Their um, I think it's the S one visa, which okay. allows them to stay in the states as long as they're admitted into an institution at a certain um, credit level, <clears throat> which was a a really big deal, and for various reasons, um, you know, one they come over here to seek an education, to seek refuge from whatever it is that they're. They may or may not be struggling with anything, or they may just want to attend a, an institution in the U.S. You know, who knows? Everyone has their own decisions. Right. But it was a big deal because they were going to be, um, why am I struggling? When they get removed. Oh, um, when they have, um, when they have to be, um, they're not deported. They're not de- deported. They're deported. Thank okay, you. deported. Okay. Words are hard at night. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, it was a really big deal because it was a little bit of, like, ICE was just waiting for them, you know, for universities to, like, make the decision on whether or not they're going to fall beneath that credit line, which is a requirement for the international students, and they were going to have to go home, which some some may not even have a home to go to, at least a healthy home, and that, so, yeah, that was a a really big deal. So universities were trying to create plans in order for them to, for students to stay, whether that be a one credit course or you know some type of hybrid model. Well, I know that the it it got reversed quickly because I think Harvard and I think another Ivy League went to bat, and that got knocked down. So I know Harvard and another university went to bat on that. And that got shut down quickly because the international fees are what they have. They that's what they get their budget off of. So with all that, that huge cut in, in funding, they're screwed. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that happened. So yeah, so perhaps the amenities now are not so much for the black students, but more for the international students because they bring in probably a good portion of the school's budget and income, and they pay uh, hard. They have a hard. They have a huge. They have a huge um, influence on the universities and colleges because of the resources they bring in. And they are going to HBCUs. And they're not going to HBCUs just to go to college. They're going because they know they're good schools. And there are opportunities available to them. And they allow them to understand why more people don't go to HBCUs. And then by the international students going to HBCUs, they're now considered the minority. So they get scholarship money and other monies that black students would get or minority students would get at predominantly white universities. It, they're doing it now HBCU, so that's something a lot of people don't understand as to why the international population, a lot of schools have exploded and basically it's, it's, it's more international students than some than there are black students at these HBCUs because of the financial benefits that are available to them. So, do you think, so it's funny, so it's like, it seems, again, if the narrative is, you know, we don't know if this narrative is correct or not, but just based on what's going on, the narratives that black people turn their black backs on HBCUs with the premise that they're not, I won't say good enough, but just maybe that they feel that because we don't live in a predominantly black world and going to a predominantly black school is not a true indication of what the real world is and that is setting them for failure. Um, I think that narrative is false because, again, I went there and my sons went there and we we're prepared probably better to prepare than most. And I don't think I can speak from personal experience. 
I know personally that I know I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for me going to HBCU. That I know for sure. Like, like I know, like I know, like I know, I know. But no doubt in my mind do I know that, that that's true for me. So I think that narrative, whatever it is, I think it's a, a false narrative. And perhaps if um, there were more people who spoke positively about their experiences, I mean, you could always talk about negative, everything's negative in life. I mean, you always have some negatives and positives. I mean, you can't get away with life. Nothing's going to be 100% all the time. But on par, the struggles that I've heard other people have to go through, because I did go to a predominantly white uh, undergraduate school, and um, it wasn't hard because I was very tenacious and I was a different type of person, but it was, I think it was something, things I went through I shouldn't have to, go, to have gone through, in my opinion. And when I went to a HBCU, it wasn't easier, but it was just more, I, and to be quite honest, I think the white school actually set me up for the challenges. If I faced, faced any, I'm sure I did face some HBCUs, but they were just as difficult as the black school. So I didn't know the difference. I'm like, okay, what are you guys talking about? It's just as hectic here as it is there. You know, the same issues there you have to have here. So I understand what the point was, but I know that I got, I got more support, more opportunities, and I was given the confidence, the wherewithal to make it point blank period at the end. And I had the pride of knowing that I went to school with people who looked like me, who were, had the same goal as I, and we all succeeded and we all had a plan to succeed because everybody we started with graduated because their whole goal was to make sure we graduated and that we knew what we were talking about because we had to be better than the rest. And that was always what they um, harped and put on us. And I think it was great. At least it was for me. So, but yeah. Yeah, I would say at PWIs, like you create a sense of camaraderie. As I went to a PWI for both undergrad and grad school. Oh, predominantly white university. I just got oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was like, what is being, is that prayer that you try to say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you create a sense of belonging on campus. You have like a space of refuge. You know, you have. You know, BSU, Black Student Union, or BSA, Black Student Alliance, are very germane on predominantly white institutions. And that's a space where, you know, it goes down. You have a multicultural center, depending on how, depending on the leadership, to be honest, determines if it's a space acceptable for many Black people, because you have to think about the complexities of Black people with our multifaceted identities. Right. And like what they value there. So I can't speak on going to HBCU because I didn't attend one. But I will say PWIs, like we, we, and that's just like who we are as a people. Like we provide our own spaces. We make our own ways. Like right. we've been doing that since the beginning of time. We're going to find a space for us to talk about white people. We're going to find a space to talk about how we can uplift each other, to celebrate each other to laugh, crack jokes, like, that's just what we do. I would imagine that, you know, attending an HBCU, you would have that in various different spaces. Like, it doesn't have to be one group of people, you know, meeting every once a week or whatever. But, I mean, it happens. It just, it depends on what you want to, to make it. And it also depends on the funding. So those types of offices, so thinking of multicultural offices or, black uh black cultural centers on mm-hmm. campuses those 
you get very little funding from the university. Why? Most of that funding comes from, you said why? Yeah, why? You get very little Because they don't value them, and that's just what it is. Oh, that's okay. That's really the truth. You know, people ask, like, they say, we need this space on campus. And they're like, okay, here, we'll give you, here, take this little room in the back, and we'll give you a budget of, a line item budget of, like, you know, X amount of dollars, which is nothing compared to other spaces on campus. Mm. And so those those fundings for those spaces specifically comes from, like, donations, alumni of the spaces, or um, soliciting donations, crowdfunding, and, like, those types of sources. Grants, grants are a big one. Mm-hmm. So grant writing is a huge industry for, in general, but specifically within higher education. Because that's where you get your money from. I'm happy talking about black, the diversity of black people because we're not a monolithic people. And so even HBCUs, you know, you have everyone coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different religious beliefs. And that's, and you're right. I mean, even though you're with, you're in a group of people who may look like you, you don't have the same experiences. And I think that's the first time that people actually understand that who who may be under the wrong impression that we all have that we're all the same. We are the same as but we're like but we are different as well. So mm-hmm. I think that that was one of the cuz when I, my first experience with HBCU was when I went to Xavier University. Yeah. I was 18 in in New Orleans. Wasn't a good look, but I had a great time. Anyway, but it was there when I first realized that everyone wasn't the same. And I know I was probably naive of me, but I thought that, um, but that's when I got to see the different socioeconomic groups there, different religions, different backgrounds. It was just something that was an eye opener to me because again, I thought that everyone was kind of, I know I just thought we just had this, I mean, we had a camaraderie, don't get me wrong, but you did see the different types of Af- black people and you know, we weren't the same and not just the hues and the shades. I'm just talking about things that go to even what our beliefs were what we valued a lot of stuff was different. So I guess it it was, I mean, it was a learning experience and I think it was a good one because again, it set me up to know that we're not all the same. We have commonalities, but we're not the same. Meaning we don't think the same. Our beliefs are not the same. Our values are not the same. And I think that's a good thing to see that. And then being able to come together with a group of people who have such diverse ideas, thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and still be able to, find some common ground, even amongst your own people, I think is great. Before you can go to someplace else, I think it's better to work it out within your own, within your own space, within your own group of people. That's what I believe. So that was something, because when you said that, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Because people think that just because you're black, we all have been to the same thing. We all grew up in, you know, certain type of neighborhood. We all had, you know, these negative types of things happen. And it's not actually, it's not true at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they think that all black people come from struggle and strife. Right, and that's and not. We're all straight, and you know we're all Christians. Yeah, that's or, not true. You know, hell, even everyone comes from either Los Angeles or they come from the South. Right. Or you know, so many different things. Right. Stereotypes. So yeah, stereotypes that are yeah not really true. So, okay, so we talked about. A few different things. So let's talk about the resolve. So the resolve would be to get to how to get more black students to attend HBCUs, dealing with blacks in education. Perhaps HBCUs can revamp their recruiting. 
Uh, maybe get more active on social media. Maybe start at junior high schools. That, I mean, kind of take HBCU recruiting like you would recruit a star athlete. Catch them young. If you got somebody you hear buzz about in sixth grade or seventh, eighth grade, start start catering. Start showing that person what the school can offer them. Start recruit. I mean, can it? Can well, you know, can the university do that? Can you start? You know, going out there and kind of actively going out there, letting them know that we want you here, and maybe expanding from getting outside our community, but going out to other states. Maybe go to the Midwest. Maybe go to the Northeast. Maybe go to the Northwest. Maybe go to the West. Maybe go to um, the Southwest. Yes, they have to be more vigilant and more visible in the community. I think that's that's what it is. Because state schools, you know, these PWI, white school, I, like they have a presence in the community. Right. And the community is like... That's our affinity space. Like we don't have anything outside of our community. Like that's what that's 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 us. Right. And so I think that HBCs HBCUs at large could do a better job at being more representative in the community. Like having, like you said, partnering with like the food bank or partnering with the local K through twelve schools right. and like having career days or even sponsor uh, summer university camps college days and summer camps and programs like little extracurricular activities and things of that nature maybe bring in there some of their um cheerleaders their band members their i don't know the dance team to come and show them i mean and just kind of show that camaraderie and show like okay this is what we do and so when you get of age or when you decide maybe you want to consider us yep and have more partnerships right. from the university tutor right you know after school programs and things like to tutor the children you know in k-12 through education i think that like those partnerships are huge and make a big impact on how people are attracted to your institution that i think our um hbcus could be doing a better job at so and then even with the homeless shelters and even with like the boys and girls clubs and the civic organizations and the youth groups and the YMCA, they can partner with them as well. So to kind of catch them young and, and show that we're actually in the community here to help you and expand it beyond the South and beyond the regions they're used to recruiting in and expand it to all the United States where you have blacks in the community who want an opportunity to go to college. I think that's Absolutely. I think that, you know, going to indigenous communities is a big under uh, served yes thank you yes i agree partnership right so which yeah i think that we could do a much better job in doing things like that and and like i remember um saying that a different world and i think it was higher learning and there's other movies out when school I was growing days, up, school days. And even just the sitcoms, you know, like Queen Latifah will be wearing HBCUs yeah. on her uh, sweatshirts, like sweatshirts right. and t-shirts and things like that. So and I think even the same thing. Yeah, I mean, and we had like we had like a lot of black shows that were promoting black HBCUs, and they were talking about in positive lights, and a lot of alumni of those different schools. So I think, again, reputation if if. If these HBCUs can team up with you, have a lot of not a lot of black creatives now, so why not team up with these creatives? You know, why not get their their schools on these different television shows? Just have them do product branding. Put the wear on the t-shirts, on the hats, maybe a little banner or something in the background. Do subliminal stuff. But I mean, there's ways in which we can get things out there 
I mean, even in the um, different communities that are out there, LBG, the LBGTQ plus, plus yeah. thank you, community, mm -hmm. they can start advertising. I mean, it's, it's all kind of communities out there they can actually partner with to try to get it out there, let them know that we are inclusive and we want everyone to attend because we welcome all. I think it'd be a great, I think it'd be great. And I think they will see their numbers skyrocket and the money go up to show how inclusive they are trying to be. And how they're trying to reach out to all. So, again, I think that would be a great thing. And then the school pride, I think, and just we were talking about, you know, part, the partnership and uh, talking about the school pride. And then in those schools, in those partnerships, they can nurture a false relationship of trust and foster a, a, a sense of support and a bond where, you know, once you kind of bond it with somebody, you, you more than likely are one to kind of following their footsteps, especially if you're in a mentoring program or somebody you kind of look up to, someone who's kind of helped you out. You kind of want to follow along that path. That's why a lot of students, when they're little, they want to be teachers because they look, you know, look up to their teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, at least I did when I was growing up. You know, I thought, oh, my teacher's so nice, I'm be a teacher. Okay, I found I didn't make no money, but that's not right. Anyway, so. <laughs> but I think, I think that's a good point. I think that goes back to the, how we first, how we, how this conversation kind of started. Like, how do you, black people save or prepare right. um, for their child's education. I think knowledge is one of the first things. Like, I, I don't think that a lot of black families realize the opportunities that exist for funding right. a college education beyond an athletic scholarship because, you know, that's, you know, that is the stereotype, especially for black boys, like you have to get an athletic scholarship in order to attend college, which right. that's not true. Right. So if we had that partnership with, you know, the K through 12 system, local shelters or other avenues for um, within the community that they will learn more about like, okay, well, how can, how can I get my, my kids college? And they can start at a young age at that, with that conversation. And, you know, if they're having that conversation, like if the parent is having that conversation with a representative from the university and their child is six right. or 13, right. they have more years to prep and prepare. Right. And they wouldn't have to depend on an athletic scholarship. If they could have that in addition to, right. Because then you'll have even more money because right. you don't have to pay it back. It's a scholarship. Right. And then we can also start focusing on, you know, our our black girls and our black gender nonconforming folks, like those that don't want to participate in athletics, like merit or band or research or, you know, whatever whatever other avenue that they're passionate about beyond athletics. So Okay. Well, I think this was a really good discussion. What did you think about the conversation we have? I don't feel it's good. It's necessary, especially right now. I really, as a person that is in education, I really do feel for these students. I know that, you know, and I'm not in the academic realm. I'm in the student affairs, the higher education realm mm -hmm. of higher education. And so we focus on, like, the involvement, the, the sense of belonging, the community, and engagement and things like that. And it's really hard to see students that say like, Hey, Miss Larissa, like I'm not coming back because of financial resources or because I, my, you know, my family is unable to contribute. 
right this semester or like I don't really want to leave my family like right. it's during this time and so I feel for them right. because they don't know what to expect or you know safety is a safety should be the um, the forefront of everyone's mind and planning especially right now and so it, it really does it, it really does make me sad and just thinking about how many HBCU athletes like they still have to practice this year although they're not performing and so I and I don't know the answer to the question of are they still considered to like are they still eligible for their scholarship although they're practicing and not performing like I don't I don't know yeah I hope they are because they're still doing something for the university as far as representation right. but I don't know right well like I said hopefully this is a conversation um that'll reach HBCU's administration and the higher-ups to make their decision so they can get their numbers up so they won't have to depend on the federal government as much. I mean, yes, they have to all school, you know, some federal monies, but perchance, perhaps, if they take some of these ideas and implement them, and even now, because people, people tend to remember who was there from when they were down and out or when they were going mm-hmm. through something. And so sure. if they can do figure out a way to kind of step up and reach out and help people in a, in, in, a, in, in ways in which are creative, thoughtful, people will remember. And so um, that would be the challenge that I would, you know, put on HBCUs. And I'm saying HBCUs specifically because, again, I'm a product and my and my children are products of HBCUs. And so I know what we're capable of doing because we've done it before. We're in the community as a result of, well, not just a result of the HBCUs that was raised that way, but the HBCUs fostered and nourished and encouraged that type of outreach community involvement. So we have it in us to do it. And I'm speaking of we, cause I'm from, I'm a product of HBCU, I'm an HBCU graduate that we have within us to go out and figure out creative ways to help people in their time of need. And I think if HBCUs um, would get creative and figure out ways to help people now, I think people will pay that, will return that in at least allowing their children to go to HBCU or maybe it may be an option they hadn't thought of otherwise. Mm-hmm. That's just my little humble opinion. But so that's where we are. HBCUs, Blacks in Education Hire Two. Again, it was myself, I'm Jenny, and Larissa. And Samira had to go. <laughs> she had children to attend to, and because you know, we all have lives here. And so right. And so uh, we are we today, we tomorrow. And again, our music is done by MP Infinite. Check them out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and SoundCloud and all other music platforms. Thank you for listening. Please comment, subscribe, share. And we will see you again um, with our new topic on next week. And I think it'll be something you guys will enjoy. So again, thank you for listening. And again, we are we today, we tomorrow. And everyone have a good evening, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.